In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I'd like to welcome you to our Perseverance Family Conversation, and I'm your host, Father Ed Broom, OMV, Oblate of the Virgin Mary. And as always, it's great to be with all of you at the start of this new day, and we can always invite to be with us our Heavenly Mother, Mary Most Holy. Mary is truly the mother of God. Mary is the mother of the church. Mary is the mother of each and every one of us. Also, when we pray to Mary, we invoke Mary as we pray in the Hail Holy Queen. We invoke Mary as our life, our sweetness, and our hope. So let's pray the Hail Mary and ask Mary to be with us this day. As we pray the prayer that she loves most, and that prayer is the Hail Mary. Together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now I'd like uh, to invite to be with us our spiritual director. Our spiritual director is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has many wonderful titles. <coughs> Holy Spirit is known as the Paraclete. Holy Spirit is also known as the Gift of Gifts. Holy Spirit is also known as the sweet guest of our souls. Holy Spirit is also known as our consoler. Holy Spirit is also known as our counselor. Holy Spirit is also known as the sanctifier. He who makes us holy. The Holy Spirit is also our interior master or our teacher. St. Paul reminds us in these words. He says that we, we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit intercedes with ineffable groans so that we can say Abba. Abba, Father, or Abba, Daddy. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to be with us and to give us a lot of light in our intellect and the fire of love to burn within our hearts. 
is you pray the classical prayer to the Holy Spirit. And that prayer is, Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful. And enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. And now shall we know the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did, did, O God, who did direct the hearts of your faithful by light, the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ our Lord, amen. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. St. Gabriel, Pray for us. St. Raphael, pray for us. St. Ignatius of Loyola, pray for us. St. Maria Faustina Kowalska, pray for us. All God's angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. It's true, my friends, the family that prays together stays together, and a world at prayer is a world at peace. So I will be praying for all of you in a special way. In the greatest of all prayers. The greatest of all prayers is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. By far, the holy sacrifice of the Mass is the greatest of all prayers. It is the prayer par excellence. So I'd like to place all of you on the altar and offer these specific prayers. My first prayer, I'd like to pray that all of us would be open, open to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. Our sanctification depends on on being open to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit. 
And perhaps this can be our prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Through the heart of Mary. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Through the heart of Mary. My next intention will be I'd like to pray for our families. For our families, that's right. I'd like to pray for the conversion of our family members. I'd like to pray not only for the conversion of our family members, but our their sanctification. I'd like to pray also for the salvation of our family members. As Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And I'd like to also pray in a special way for those who will be dying. Those who will be dying within the next uh, 24 hours. That they will be saved. Those are my intentions. Now, our brief catechesis we're giving on the most sacred heart of Jesus will be related to the heart of Christ present in the Mass. We've never lived in a world with so much information. But also we've never lived in a world with so much confusion as today. So I'd like to go through what are the what are the basic conditions to receive Holy Communion well? So in a very real sense, when we do receive Holy Communion, we, we, we receive, receive also the most sacred heart of Jesus every time we receive Holy Communion. Receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So that means we receive the sacred heart of Jesus every time that we participate in Mass. So what are the essential conditions to be able to receive the Eucharist well? Well, there are basically three. And the first is 
Belief in the real presence. My friend, we have consist in going deeper into our belief in the real presence. The once the priest consecrates the sacred host. The sacred host is truly and substantially the body, the blood, the soul and the divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not a symbol. It's the reality. We call it the real presence. The second condition is we have to um, carry out the Eucharistic fast. The Eucharistic fast consists simply in abstaining from food and drink an hour before receiving Holy Communion. So say, for example, you go to Mass on, at 8 o'clock. And communion be give, being, being given out at 8.30. Then you should not have eaten anything beyond 7.30. That's the Eucharistic fast. Eucharistic fast also means that you can drink water as well as take medicine. If you're a Eucharistic minister visiting a sick person, the sick people in homes or hospitals are dispensed of the Eucharistic fast. Or the third condition to receive Holy Communion worthily. Is that we have to be in this state of grace. When they say the state of grace, I mean that we are we we have to receive the Eucharist without more being aware of mortal sin, having committed mortal sin. A brief catechetical explanation of that: mortal sin. Consists of three conditions, and that would be grave matter, grave matter, full knowledge, and full consent of the will. Grave matter, full knowledge, and full consent of the will. 
If we're aware of having committed a mortal sin, we want to receive communion. Then it is incumbent upon us to seek out a priest and to go to confession before receiving Holy Communion. So those are the three essential conditions of being able to receive the Eucharist worthily. Knowledge of what the Eucharist is. It is truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Eucharistic fast, one hour. And being freed from mortal sin. With that, we can receive the Eucharist properly and receive many graces. Receive the Eucharist properly and receive many graces. All right. What I'd like to do today, my friends, is yesterday... Yesterday, in our Perseverance family conversation, I spoke primarily about the two saints that we celebrated yesterday. These are two saintly martyrs, if you remember. St. Thomas More and the Bishop St. John Fisher. And if you remember, I gave a length, lengthy explanation of these two saints and the historical context and why they died as martyrs. And the reason was the following. King Henry VIII of England He decided to leave his wife, Catherine Aragon, and to live with another woman whose name was Anne Boleyn. And King Henry VIII wanted Thomas More as well as... uh, Bishop John Fisher to accept his adultery as well as to accept him as the head of the Church of England because the Holy Father, the Pope, would not accept this adulterous relationship of the king. So both Sir Thomas More and Bishop John Fisher were incarcerated. They were thrown in jail for more than a year. 
And Henry VIII tried to coax them into accepting his new living arrangements as well as him being the new head of the church in England. And both of them would not give in to this. They are thrown in jail. And both of them, both of them, they were condemned to death. Those two great English martyrs. Thomas More was canonized 400 years later, 1925. And Pope John Paul II proclaimed Thomas More as the patron of politicians in the year 2000. So I spent the whole time reflecting upon that with you. And we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. So what I thought I would do today is to retrace our steps. And I'd like to explain today the gospel that we had actually yesterday. The gospel we had yesterday was the Our Father. So I'd like to just take that and go through some of the key words and points on the Our Father. The Our Father is also known as the Lord's Prayer. You have one version in St. Matthew, which we read yesterday. Then there's another version found in St. Luke, preceded by the Apostles' Asking our Lord, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples how to pray. And our Lord said, when you pray, say, Our Father. So, I'd like to go through it. Because we say this prayer on a daily basis. But perhaps at times we say it quickly without really thinking about the words in this prayer. So let's start with the let's start with the word our. When we say our, it's not my what we're saying is that all of us are united. We're, we are united. We're united in one family. So if we're united in one family, we should have this we should have this universal love for all mankind. 
If God is our Father, then all of us are brothers and sisters. So this means that none of us should be hating our brothers and sisters. We should avoid prejudice. We should avoid looking down upon another person for whatever reason, whatever. So that's the word our. We're all united as one family under the leadership and the guidance of our Heavenly Father. So we move from our and we move into the word Father. The nature of fatherhood or paternity, the nature of a father as well as a mother is that the father gives life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I've come that they have life and life in abundance. So, let us thank God for the fact that he's given us life. And what is diametrically opposed to life is the reality of abortion. Abortion means the killing of an innocent baby. So let us try to promote life, respect life. Life is to be respected from the very moment of conception until natural death. All life is sacred because it comes from God, the author of all life. So let's move on. Our Father... Let's take the next word. Our Father who art in heaven. So my friends, every time we meditate upon the Our Father, pray the Our Father, we have the word heaven. Honestly, I don't think we meditate enough upon the reality of heaven. We do not meditate enough upon the reality of heaven. We should long for heaven. Heaven is our destiny. Heaven is where we should all be longing for in our lives. Psalm 
41 verse 1 sets the tone of our desires. The word of God says, As the the deer yearns for the running streams, so my soul yearns for you, O Lord my God. May we long for, may we yearn, may we desire ardently with all of our hearts to, to go to heaven. And as Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world if he loses his soul? Think about heaven. St. Paul says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. And our life, my friends, on earth is very short. St. Teresa of Avila says our life is like una mala noche in una mala taverna. Which is English for it's a, a, a bad night in a lousy hotel. St. Augustine goes on to say our life in comparison with eternity is a mere blink of the eye. I repeat, our life in comparison with eternity is a mere blink of the eye. How short life is. So let's pray that we'd patiently carry our crosses every day. Patiently carry our crosses every day, knowing that one day heaven is our eternal home and destiny. Let's move on. Then our Father who art in heaven, hallowed. You say hallowed. Hallowed means this. Praised. We're called to praise God. St. Ignatius of Loyola in the spiritual exercises principle and foundation he says that we are created to praise God. So hallowed means we're called to praise God. Now, of all the manners in which we can praise God, by far, the greatest would be that of participating in Holy Mass. Participating fully, actively, and consciously in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is by far the greatest way in which we can praise God. Purpose of Mass we find in the doxology. We're praising God the Father 
by offering God the Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit. There we have it. I repeat, we're praising God the Father by the offering of God the Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, then from there, hallowed be thy Hallowed be thy name. Not only are we called to praise God, but also we are called to praise His holy name. We're called to praise His holy name. St. Paul reminds us that the name of Jesus may every knee in heaven, on earth, and below the earth bow to the ground, proclaiming him to be our God and Father. One way in which we can honor the holy name of God is when we hear the name of Jesus to bow our heads in reverence. And a prayer in which we can be praising the name of God is by praying the, the divine praises. The divine praises, which we say at the end of uh, the uh, blessing with the blessed sack of the benediction. That would be, blessed be God, blessed be his holy name, blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man. It's a beautiful prayer to pray at the end of the holy hour. And even if you've received holy communion, to pray that prayer, praising God within you. Praising God within you. So we're explaining, my friends, the Our Father. So, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom. Thy kingdom come. It's interesting, my friends, that the word kingdom, often in the gospel, Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God. This would merit, this would merit a, a longer talk. I could even spend a whole talk just on this one idea. The kingdom, the kingdom of God. Where is then, where is this kingdom? Many, many interpretations. I'll give you maybe three interpretations. Okay. The kingdom of God 
is heaven. And when we say kingdom, that means there must be a king. And our king is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As the Mexicans said during the Cristiano Revolution, que viva Cristo Rey. Que viva Cristo Rey, que viva Maria Reina. Long live Christ the King and Mary Queen. So once we make it to heaven, the heaven is the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king and Mary is the queen. And we are their subjects and servants. But we want Jesus and Mary to reign over us, first of all, in this life. So that they'll be reigning over us forever in heaven. Another interpretation of kingdom the kingdom of God, my friends, is also to be found in the church in the tabernacle. Every Catholic church where you have the tabernacle. You have the ciborium and then you have the consecrated hosts. You have the consecrated hosts. Which is truly the body, blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. For that reason, every time you enter the church, Every time you enter the Catholic Church, the focal point of the Catholic Church would be where you have the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, you have the consecrated hosts. Nearby the tabernacle, Nearby the tabernacle would be the red vigil lamp. The red vigil lamp is pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is close to that vigil lamp. For that reason, when we come into the church, the house of God, then we enter in silence. A three times holy God. God said to Moses, take off your sandals. And with our right knee, 
If you remember, we should remember with our right knee, you're walking in front of the Blessed Sacrament, then you bend that knee and you make a genuflection. Your right knee going all the way down to the ground. That's called a genuflection. By doing that, that's a corporal gesture in which you're saying that you believe Jesus is in the tabernacle and you are praising and worshipping him. So my friends, when we say thy kingdom come, there are many interpretations. I'm giving you three today. The first and perhaps the most obvious would be the kingdom of heaven, which is our eternal destiny. Second, as I've just mentioned right now, would be the tabernacle. And sometimes in churches like ours, in the afternoon, we have, we take Jesus out of the tabernacle and we place him in a monstrance. From one to six o'clock mass, those five hours, so that people can come and adore, praise, and worship the Eucharistic Lord. To praise, adore, and worship the Eucharistic Lord. In third place, this is very important. Remember years ago I was preaching, I think it was on the Blessed Trinity. And there was a mother with a little child that was maybe one or two years old. Yes, the mother, is that child baptized? Yes, Father. Now, would you like to see where the kingdom of God is? Then placing your, place your hand over the heart of that little child. Why? Because that child is baptized. And once we are baptized, then we become a son or daughter of God the Father, a brother or sister to Jesus Christ, And we become a deep friend with the Holy Spirit. We become a living tabernacle. We become a living tabernacle of the Blessed Trinity. 
So my friends, when we pray the prayer of the Our Father, we say, we say, Thy kingdom come. There are many interpretations. But I've given you three of the most prominent interpretations. The kingdom of God is heaven. The kingdom of God is the tabernacle. The kingdom of God is also our heart, the heart of the little child. I purposely pointed to the little child, the reason being is because a child that's two years old, baptized, is not able to commit a mortal sin. That's right, a child that's only two is not able to commit a mortal sin. Whereas we, we, who are, have, have reached the age of reason, we are adults, we can commit a mortal sin. So by committing a mortal sin, we're capable of expelling from our interior kingdom the presence of God himself. If done, we should make it, try to make a perfect act of contrition, repent, and go to confession. Okay, we're explaining, my friends, that we're trying to go through the Our Father, or getting through a good part of the Our Father, which was the Gospel yesterday. Thy kingdom come, next is thy Okay, thy will be done. So the next petition in the Our Father would be, thy will be done. Our sanctification. Our growth in holiness depends in large part, my friends, on discerning what is God's will, what is God's will for us, on a daily basis. On an hourly basis, what is God's will for us? Then, once we're aware of what God's will for us is, then we beg for the grace. We beg for the grace to carry out God's will in our lives. It's interesting that Satan or Lucifer, 
Satan or Lucifer said, I will not serve God. And he was consequently expelled from the heavenly realm. St. Michael the Archangel said, Who is like unto God? And he did accept God's will and obey it. Another beautiful example of carrying out God's will is the example of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Once Mary recognized what God's will was for her, Mary gave her fiat, her consent, in these words, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy will. That's Mary's fiat. Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy word. There, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said this prayer actually three times. He said, Abba, Abba, Father, or Daddy, if it be possible, remove this chalice from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Father, Abba, Father, if it be possible, remove this chalice from me. However, not my will, not my will, but your will be done. In the literary classic, in the literary classic of of Dante, the Divine Comedy. When Dante is ascending from hell to purgatory, and Dante arrives at the heavenly gates, there over the arch is written, In God's will is our peace. In God's will is our peace. We can find true peace of mind, heart, and soul 
if we're able to discern God's will. As our friend Bob Ward says, discernment is a big word. Yes, it is. However, God's will is manifested in various ways. First of all, God's will is manifested by through the Ten Commandments. Then God's will is manifested through our state of life. Many of you are married with family members. God's will is manifested also through our work that we carry out on a daily basis. God's will is carried out by carried out through circumstances in our daily life. And my friends, I think it's a good idea for all of you in this Perseverance family conversation, all of you should try to get some type of spiritual direction. Because we don't always have absolute clarity as to what God's will is. Therefore, talking it out and consulting our spiritual direction, our spiritual director, can be very helpful. Can be very helpful. So what we've done today, my friends, in our Perseverance Family Conversation, is we've taken the gospel for yesterday. And the gospel for yesterday, my friends, was the Our Father, also known as the Lord's Prayer. We've been able to explain about half of it today. About half of it today. You might take that prayer and say those words very slowly and meditate and relish upon the words of the Our Father, which are words that came from Christ himself. And beg God to speak to you, to your own heart, through the Lord's Prayer. I'd like to invite all of you, my friends, also to share our conversation with many of your friends. And as I mentioned, I'll pray for you. Let's pray that we would all be able to carry out God's will in our lives so that we will end up one day in the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. May God bless you. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you. The Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. Amen.